before I start this morning, I want to make a brief announcement I was asked to make. Um, Ruby Whiting, the daughter of Candace and Sebastian Whiting, who are members of ours that currently live in New York, was born last night at home. She's just over 10 pounds, so we are... Uh, uh, I told Candace this morning when she shared that I think that she's a superhero, and she said, I feel like one. So we're uh, uh, thankful for that and, and praying for them. So good morning, and happy Easter. When I say he is risen, I want you to say back, he's risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. I want to thank everyone for coming this morning. And I want to ask a question to start with today. What is Easter about? For a lot of us, it's at least partly about our family traditions. Lisa and I get together with my parents and my sister's family on Easter, and, and we still do an Easter egg hunt. We still do an Easter egg hunt. My sister has two children, right? And so my niece and nephew, it's still a fun thing for them. But... Last year and this year, I wasn't allowed to participate, which is a little frustrating because up to that point, I was the reigning champion of the Tinnervin Easter egg hunt. As, I, as my sister and I were growing up, I used to win all of them, and that continued until uh, I was told I was no longer allowed to do them. Now, of course, the whole me winning them all thing is something my sister and I disagree on, but she's wrong. See, the Tinnervins, we're, we're a little bit competitive. For those of you that know me well, you're not going to be surprised at all to hear that. So we take things like our Easter egg hunt pretty seriously, but I want to tell you a little bit about this one hunt two years ago because besides being my last with the family, it was the one I almost lost. By the end, it was just my nephew and I hunting for the eggs. And I was getting really frustrated because I realized I was almost certainly going to lose. My nephew, Logan, who was 15, was getting help from everyone, which I felt like was cheating. When you're telling someone where the eggs are, that is cheating. And so it's kind of become my curse that when I play games with people who know me well, their friends or their family, or they've ever played any kind of game with me before, sometimes they get more excited about me losing than anyone else winning, and that's what I think was, was happening in the Easter egg hunt. So everyone was cheating and Logan was winning. They told me later, I don't know, they felt like he deserved some kind of special consideration because he was on crutches with a broken femur, but I don't know what that has to do with an Easter egg hunt. That didn't make sense to me then, and it doesn't really make sense to me now, but whatever. I realized I was going to lose, and so I handled it with the poise of an adult, an uncle, and a pastor. So to preserve our family's traditions, I did what anyone in that situation would do. When your nephew has put up such a great effort, has worked so hard, who obviously is trying, really wants to win, remember it's about the children, it's not about the adults, I did what anyone would do. I went up to him, I gave him a hug, and I took one of his crutches and I held it away from him so he could no longer go for the eggs. And I did this for him. I don't know why no one could see that. I wanted to teach him a very important lesson. When you play a game, you play to win. 
and he now has learned that lesson in a very deep and meaningful way. So in my opinion, I did a very good thing for my nephew. No one else seemed to agree. So no longer do I get to participate in our Easter egg hunts. Family traditions are wonderful, and they're a wonderful part of Easter, and I imagine all of you have your own, and all of them are different. And when you think about Easter, certainly those traditions come to mind. But we also know that Easter is about more than our family traditions. Its first meaning, its true meaning, the one we build our family traditions around, is the center of the Christian story. It's the center of the Bible, the center of the gospel. Easter is the story of Jesus Christ rising from the dead. We call it the resurrection. And that's what I'd like to talk to you about today. Because of Easter, we have the opportunity to know God and to know the abundance of new life, which is available to us because of Jesus rising from the dead. And that's more valuable than anything else could ever be. So I want to introduce you to a few people this morning. Each one of them is in a different phase of life, and each one of them has experienced the Easter story differently. First, I'd like you to meet a young woman named Dawn. That's not her real name. I've changed her name in a few of the details to make sure no one is able to figure out who she is. She's 18, and, and while she's gone to church her whole life, she's never really encountered the Easter story before. So you're going you're gonna to meet Dawn. And I'd like you to meet a man named Paul. Paul's about 30 years old. And his whole life was turned completely upside down by the Easter story. So you're going to meet Paul as well. And then, ooh, that was almost really bad. And then finally, I'd like you to meet Gary. He's 66, he has terminal cancer, and he's my father. And he's found hope in the Easter story. So, Dawn. A few years ago, I was on our senior trip. Now, our senior trip is this thing we do for our high school graduating seniors. When our students go through high school and they've graduated from their senior year, we take a trip together. Them and a few of the sponsors and I, when I was the youth pastor, would go with them. And one of the, one of the wonderful things about this trip is it affords a lot of time for us to connect very deeply. We kind of talk about what they've learned in high school, how they've learned and grown in their faith, the kinds of lessons that they want to take forward as they go on, whether it's to college or to something else. It's a time of a lot of fun. It's a time of a lot of fellowship, and it's a time for a lot of very deep, meaningful spiritual conversations. So we were on the senior trip. That year, Dawn was one of our graduating seniors. We were having our, our bonfire that we always have on the last night of the trip, and it's usually kind of a come down from a really emotional time where they receive, the students receive letters from their parents, and we, we do a devotion, and we, we sing, sing a lot of songs, and it's just this really beautiful, meaningful time. The bonfire is what we do kind of afterwards to kind of calm down a little bit. And Dawn came up to me at the bonfire and asked if we could talk for a few minutes. So we walked just a little bit away, and, and I asked her what was on her mind. And right then, right then, she kind of turned away so the rest of the group couldn't see her. She started to cry. 
Now, I'd known Don for a while at this point, but I was about to find out that I had no idea what was going on in her life. She told me that she hated everything and that she felt like everyone hated her. And she was dealing with a lot. And as I listened there, as she told me about what was going on at home and and about her struggles with depression and about how she was miserable all the time and didn't know what to do about it, I just hurt for her. And I was listening carefully because sometimes a person just wants to kind of unburden themselves, right? They've had all these things going on and all they want to do is get it out of them and they just need someone to listen. And that's hard because if you're like me, you like to try to fix people's problems. So sometimes you have to work hard to just be a listener. But sometimes they are asking for help and it's important to listen carefully to see if you can figure out which kind of conversation you're having. And I was listening carefully and and when she was done, I was pretty sure she had just wanted me to listen. For about 10 or 15 minutes, she kind of just shared everything that was going on in her mind and in her heart. So I prayed for her, I thanked her for sharing, and I I sort of patted my back for being an amazing youth pastor and not trying to fix anything, you know, and and I got up and I started to head back to the bonfire, and I was in that like half getting up place you are, you know, when, when you're kind of ending a conversation, and then she says, she's not looking at me, so she doesn't see that I'm in this awkward place. She goes, you talked about hope tonight, and that's the moment I realized I have left too soon. And so I I sit back down, and and she says, I don't understand how I'm supposed to have hope. Now, if you've never heard words like that from a young person who has almost their entire life before them, a life of possibilities and joy and happiness, let me assure you it's one of the most heartbreaking things that you can ever hear. So I asked her, do you know the Easter story? And she said, yeah, I know. Jesus died for our sins. Now, it was dark, but I could tell that she was very surprised when I said, no, that's not it. That's not the Easter story. I told her that, yes, Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and that's why forgiveness is available to everyone, no matter what we've done or who we are. Yes, that is an Easter. That's, that's Good Friday. That's the beginning of the story. There's so, so much more. And I told her that the Sunday after Good Friday, that Mary Magdalene and Mary, Jesus' mother, they went to the tomb to see him where where he'd been buried. And they must not have been thinking straight because his tomb, it was sealed by this incredibly large rock. Jesus had, had died on the cross and he'd been put in this tomb and that tomb was sealed by a rock that there's just... No way that these two women could have moved on their own, but they went to try to see him anyway. But when they got there, the ground shook as the angel rolled aside the stone in front of the tomb and sat down on it. And the women were terrified because angels in the Bible, they don't look like what they look like in art that we see today. So often we see pictures of angels as these kind of like baby creatures with a halo and little wings and they're cute. Angels in the Bible are are fierce. They're strong. They're large. They were frightening. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid 
For I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He is risen, just as he said. Now quickly go and tell his disciples. And as they were running to tell the apostles, Jesus appeared to them and they they bowed down and worshipped him. And as I was sharing the Easter story with her, Dawn was listening, but but then she asked me there, she said, well, why did they do that? I didn't know what she meant. And she said, why did they worship him? And I told her that they realized that Jesus was God made flesh. That God had come down into this awful world of hardship and suffering. This world where so many people were without hope. And he'd become part of it. And yes, he died for our sins. But it's his resurrection, his overcoming of death that gives us hope. And we sat there and we talked for a while and I had the joy of watching her afterwards. Over the past few years, I've seen a life that's filled up with hope and with purpose. I've seen a young woman embrace life as a follower of Jesus and let me tell you, she's doing very well. Sometime later, while the group was doing a Bible study, while she was here and the youth group was doing a Bible study, and we were talking about what happened when Jesus died. And someone said that that it's the reason we have hope. And she spoke up, and I was so glad for it. She said, sure, yes. But she said this because I wrote it down afterwards, and I've never lost track of it. She goes, hope isn't just at the cross. Hope is found in the empty tomb. She's so right. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we have hope. We're going to come back to dawn in a bit, but I want to introduce you to someone else now. I want to tell you about a man named Paul. And in a moment, we're going to dive into our passage for this morning. So if you'd like to follow with me, you can go ahead and open your Bible to Philippians 3, 7 to 11. Or you can just listen. It might be on the screen as well. Paul is in the Apostle Paul. He was born over 2,000 years ago in the first few years of A.D. And he had a lot going for him. I don't know if you know very much about the Apostle Paul, but by the time he was 30 years old or so, his life was set. He was an up-and-coming member of the Jewish religious elite. He was born to the right people, and he was born in the right place, and Paul was brilliant. He, he was a world-changing kind of brilliant, and I, I think he knew it. His life was full of success and potential, and it was just beginning for him. And he was doing so well that when this new group started to say things that made other members of the Jewish religion uncomfortable, Paul was one of the people who was sent to deal with it. Now they realized that these these new people, they were saying things like, God had become a man. God had taken on flesh. And that he'd been crucified as a sacrifice for sin. And that three days later on Easter morning, he had risen from the dead. For Paul and for the Jews, calling any human being God was a crime that was punishable by death. And so Paul was one of the men who was put in charge of finding, imprisoning, and sometimes assisting with the execution of these people. And Paul appears to have been very good at it. But then 
One day, while Paul was traveling from one town to the next, Jesus appeared to him. And Paul's entire life was changed. Because in that moment, when a person is really confronted with Jesus for the first time, when they first accept who he is, what he's done, and what we have because of it, their whole life is turned upside down. When you realize that the Easter story is really true, nothing is ever the same. Paul had all this success and admiration. He had a promising career. He had the life that he'd always wanted right in front of him. But when he met Jesus, he gladly gave all of that up to have a part of the power of the Easter story. So he says in Philippians 3, 7 to 9, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. In other words, Paul says that nothing is more important than having a part of the life that Jesus has made possible. Because Paul understood that Jesus overcoming death and rising again meant that God had turned the world upside down. He's begun a new project, and it's exciting. And it means that everyone who wants to be a part of God's people has a job to do. Paul knew that one day, God's going to put everything right. He's going to put everything the way it's supposed to be. And while one day in the future, he'll finish the project all at once, he's already begun in the here and now. God's work is happening now. And that means a few things. It means that we're called to live a life like the one Jesus did. We're called to be agents of God's new project, his new creation. We're called to heal the sick and the broken. And, and I don't just mean people who are physically sick, although that's part of it too. I mean people like Dawn. People who are hurting. We're called to be the ones that God uses to speak his love to her. To support and to care for her. To encourage her and lift her up. And it means more. It means, more, means that we're called to help the poor and the needy. God wants to reach out to them to make sure that they aren't going hungry, that they don't believe that just because they're poor or in need, that that means no one loves them, because he loves them. And it's our hands he wants to use to feed them. It's our time and our bank accounts he wants to use to help them. And it means doing our part in making sure the world hears about Jesus that the world knows that God is at work, that forgiveness is available, that he's coming back, and that life and salvation are available to anyone who asks him for it, anyone who gives him their allegiance. And it's our entire lives he wants to use as a testimony. He wants us to live a life that shows he's at its center, a life of love 
and care about others. So that when someone from the outside looks in, they know there's no way you can be doing that on your own. That it's only possible because God is at work in you. And Paul, he did live that kind of life. My goodness, did Paul live that kind of life. He spent the rest of his life telling people about Jesus and starting churches. He was imprisoned. He was flogged. He was whipped. He was shipwrecked. He lived through being sentenced to death by stoning. He was constantly in danger, and he endured all of it with joy because of the the incredible importance of knowing Jesus and having part in God's new creation. Paul lived a life so filled with love and service that no one could deny God was at work in him. So that's Paul. Then he wrote these next two verses. And these are two of my favorite in the entire Bible. They're the kind of verses that you can understand quickly, but you can spend the rest of your life really getting to the bottom of. Verses 10 and 11, he says this. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. There's so much here. I'd love to spend the whole morning talking to you about it, but I won't because I know you're all thinking about lunch. What I do want to do is to talk to you for a minute about my dad. My dad's name is Gary. To tell you a little bit about him, he had lung cancer a few years ago, and it was aggressive, and, and usually people don't survive it, but because of a crazy string of events that I can only see as a miracle, we discovered it very early, and he beat it. But the chemo that he had to use caused him to get, five years later, a kind of leukemia, a blood cancer. And because of the effect that the first set of chemo had on him, he can't take chemotherapy again. This cancer will certainly claim his life. When he found out, he said that he wanted to to live till his next birthday. That was his goal. We found out in August or September, and, and his goal was to live to July, to his next birthday, because Dad has always really enjoyed his birthdays. But the doctors told him that wasn't very likely. And it's been hard. Originally, we weren't sure that he was going to make it to Thanksgiving. Then they gave us something like 50-50 odds that he'd make it to Christmas. He went on hospice care, so he's at home now at the beginning of March, and, and they said he would almost certainly not make it to Easter. Well, if you know my dad, he said he wants to make it to July, and I think I told you about how Tinnevins are competitive, right? So making it to his birthday, he kind of sees as winning. His will, sometimes he's very ready to go, and sometimes his will to live is just very strong. And he has good days, and he has bad days, and whenever a few of the bad ones line up, the nurse tells us that we need to get there because it might be happening now. And, and so we go, and each time he's rebounded. Of course, my mom suggests he just likes the attention. We were together the other day, and we had a conversation that was amazing. He said something that he said before, but, but it's so good I asked him to tell me again. He told me that this cancer that will take his life has been a blessing. And you might ask how a person could possibly see terminal cancer as a blessing. 
Well, he sees it as a blessing because it was in the midst of his struggles with cancer that dad started to really think of the promise of Easter. He told me that he asks God for forgiveness every day, and my dad has always been a very good man, but no one, no one is perfect, and so he asks God to forgive his sins every day. And a while ago, in the midst of all of this, he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And he told me the other day that the strangest things have been happening. He wants to be better. He doesn't want to be the same person he's always been. He wants to be a more forgiving man, a more loving man, a better man. And he's made such amazing changes in such a short time. He told me that something's different inside of him. He said, I don't know, maybe it's the cancer. And I said, no, that's God at work. That's the resurrection life. That's the new creation. The change that happens when we allow Jesus to come within us, when we accept him as our Lord and Savior, and he goes to work to make us more like him. People have been asking how I'm doing with my dad passing, and, and of course I'm sad, and, and I'm trying to soak up every minute of time that we have while he's still here. But there's something else that's different, too. This promise of Easter, this resurrection life, this new creation, yes, it starts here and now. My father's experiencing that as we speak. Many of you remember when you accepted Jesus and the changes that came, some of them very quickly and some of them over a long period of time, and all of us are still in process. But it's because of Easter, the life that we have from Jesus, the new creation that we can have something else. That life isn't just here and now, it's also forever. The life we have because of Easter is a forever life, an eternal life. As I was talking with my dad, and, and he was, we were talking about how I had come to, to faith before he had, and, and one of the things that he regretted was not doing that much sooner. And I told him it's okay. Because, because of the promise of Easter, we can know that we will see our loved ones again. They're not gone from us Forever, the life we have in Jesus is an eternal, forever life. And I know that there will be a day that I will see my father again after he passes. And no longer will it be me who came to, to a faith first. It'll be him that's an expert and able to share a whole lot with me. As you celebrate Easter today, whatever your traditions or practices are, whether you're going to go home and watch TV and just rest, whether you're going to go and spend the day with family, whether you're going to eat way too much food, I recommend eating way too much food. <laughs> whatever you're going to do today, I want to challenge you to remember a few things. First, that the promise we have in Easter starts now. That God is at work within you. That he's making you over time to be more and more like he is. This is a work that will go on forever, but it's a promise that begins when you come to him for the first time 
He goes to work inside you. The second thing I want to encourage you to remember is this. The hope of the Christian life is found in the Easter story. The hope that we have because of who our God is. He's the God that overcomes sin and death. He's the God that the grave couldn't hold. Our hope is found in the empty tomb. And one more. I want you to remember that the promise and the power of the Easter story is that we don't just have today. We don't just have here. That our lives don't stop when our eyes close for the last time because there is an eternal life, an eternal promise, and we will see our loved ones again. And she said, hope isn't just found in the cross. It's found in the empty tomb. And he lived a life that was so filled with love and service that no one could deny that God was at work within him. And he said, something is different inside of me. And we can know that we'll see our love.